know who I am. But you don't know why I'm here. This is where the big boys play, huh? Look at the adjective. Play. Go at it live on WCW Monday Nitro, where the big boys play every Monday night at 8 on TNT. Hello and welcome once again to Nitro Nights, a WCW Look Back podcast. My name is Sai, and joining me as always is the overflowing with facts wrestling encyclopedia, Scottish Danny himself. How are we doing, bud? Hello, matey. I'm doing really well, thank you. How's yourself? Yeah, not too bad, mate. Not too bad. Enjoying our sort of early days in 96 let's put it that way i'm enjoying it i'm enjoying that uh we have this episode here of monday nitro to look back on on the show this week the episode first aired january the 8th 1996 from charleston south carolina so you know the carolinas very much horseman and flair country of course it received a 2.8 in the, in regards to the television ratings beaten slightly by raw which actually broke into the uh, the three barrier for the first time in a little while. So they got a flat three and Nitro with a 2.8 there. Um, This show, Danny, we've got quite a bit to talk about wrestling-wise and so on. But before we do, I want to get into the, I suppose, WWF jabs that the commentators make. We mentioned it on last week's Nitro Nights with regards to a few comments they make here and there about how their television is is going to cost you nothing, their events are going to cost you nothing, WWF putting their prices up, and all this sort of stuff. Here, it's been cranked up to the max. It seemed almost like every other line was a dig at the WWF. Watching this episode of Nitro, how did you feel about that? That, I mean, it's not that it took me out of it, but it was definitely noticeable. And I think they should have kept it to a minimum because for the last couple of weeks, they really hadn't done any digs at um, WWF. Like I would say through the majority of December, um, they had the odd one here and there with me and Gene, but this was like, it was like constant, wasn't it? It was just on fire. Yeah. Mongo, Mongo makes a lot of them and it's, it's almost like, it sounds like quite childish banter, I guess. I hate the term banter, but I can't think of another word to sort of, you know, sort of throw in there at that moment. It's quite, it's almost like childlike arguing or childlike insults, you know, like when you sort of, I hear my 10, my, my 12 year old, sorry, arguing with my, my 15 year old and my 15 year old will say something because obviously she's a bit older, a bit more, uh, she has a bit more street smarts, I suppose. And my 12 year old will just reply with, yeah, well you stink or something like that. And it's kind of Mongo sounds like the, yeah, well you stink side of that argument you know it's yeah. quite, almost childish sort of jabs i think danny it really was and i do remember eric bischoff saying on his show um anytime that him and mongo would do this bobby heenan just felt so uncomfortable and just wanted no part of it so i always look for maybe moments where bobby heenan joined in but i've not seen one yet have you sir no, I've actually got a note about that, to be honest, right underneath where I'm talking about the jabs that they're taking. Hina never takes part. And it's because he was so uncomfortable uh, doing it because he didn't want to burn any bridges. And um, I mean, he might as well have because he, ne- he only went back for a couple of appearances, didn't he? Mm, yeah. Yeah. I mean, Hina didn't want to leave the WWF in the first place, did he? But he had a few neck issues, a few health issues. And if he went to WCW, he would get paid more, as most people did in that time. But the big drawing point for Heenan was he would be an employee of Ted Turner, as opposed to an employee of WCW or a wrestling company. So he, he actually was entitled to to quite a high level of healthcare, which obviously in the States, 
I'm no expert. You know, we're very fortunate in the UK with our NHS, of course. But in the States, healthcare is a very expensive thing to always have in the back of your mind, I suppose. Yeah, and I think, to be honest, Bobby Heenan had earned something like this deal because he'd been wrestling since 19... Uh, I mean, he'd been in wrestling since, I think, the 60s. Mm. So, I mean, this is a good way for him to kind of end his career. Yeah, yeah, fair point, mate. Make that money before you get out, I suppose. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, okay. Our opener here is two wrestlers that I think we've been pretty positive about in recent weeks on on various nitros and pay-per-views and so on we see chris benoit of the four horsemen and he is fighting the german wonder kid alex wright this again the the standard of in-ring competition last week was very high i thought last week's episode of nitro nights looking at the january 1st episode of monday nitro i thought the in-ring quality even the main event with flair and hogan was of a decent standard this nitro starts here where that one left off i believe with benoit and alex Wright because i really really enjoyed this as well danny yeah same here i mean you could tell they were very focused on being wrestling heavy here whereas um wbf was uh focused on more characters around this time so yeah Yes, exactly, exactly. Uh, Benoit jumps Alex Wright early as Alex Wright is trying to take his leather jacket off and Benoit is pummeling him in the ring quite early on. They basically eventually get to the outside where Pillman, Brian Pillman, the other, another member of the Four Horsemen who has accompanied Benoit to ringside, uses his T-shirt to choke Alex Wright. So a nice, you know, nice good bit of heel shit there. I enjoyed that. And <laughs> Benoit, the level of intensity Benoit is bringing here really stands out to me. Everything he does looks like it's got a snap to it, like it's crisp, like it genuinely hurts. And I'll be honest, it probably does. Yeah, it really, it looks like definitely that way. Um, in this match, uh, we talk about the WWF jabs. Um, Eric Bischoff referred to WWF as the Titanic, sh- uh, Titanic, no, Titanic Sports, wasn't it? They uh, yeah. <laughs> named it, and I just I, I just found that so funny um, compared to if you look at where Dove's W ended up from WWF. Yes, yeah. I mean, he, obviously, Titan Sports was the company, but he, he, you know, Titanic Sports hinting at their sinking and so on. Which, to be fair, in '95 going to '96, they kind of were. The WWF were really struggling financially, so you know, again, poking fun and making that comment on a, a, a national or international television show probably in a bit of bad taste but you can see yeah. where he's coming from i suppose <laughs> you could you could but i also found it just quickly to go back to that i found it just as petty as all this is the i think what's worse is wwe in the early 2000s would continue this and have eric bischoff in backstage segments with former wsw employees and they'll take jabs at wsw going under and things like that and it was like when when does this ever end yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I can kind of understand that to a degree. I don't like the way, um, I mean, this is for a whole different podcast, but we'll touch on it briefly now. I don't like the way the WCW guys were handled when they went into the WWE in the invasion angle and so on. I think a lot of egos ran wild there, similar to how Hogan's does for us in this, this period. And a lot of things were mismanaged because of that. However, McMahon making a few comments or having characters or on-screen personalities making comments, gloating about winning the Monday Night War. I've got no real issue with that because they won. And at one stage, they were in deep, deep trouble. And whilst they were in deep trouble, Bischoff was effectively laughing at them. So I've got no real issue with, you know, if I was in McMahon's position and we'd just beaten our biggest rivals and then bought them out, Oh, I'd gloat like mad. I'd be an unbearable bastard to be around. <laughs> you sound like a big sick man on my side. <laughs> <laughs> yes, maybe, maybe. Uh, Alex Wright here, he, he expl- again, he's he kind of showcasing how, how talented he is. He doesn't look like he should really be a wrestler. He, he looks more like maybe he should be a swimmer or be in the Olympics doing some sport or whatever because of his long, thin frame. But he hits a huge jumping heel kick on Benoit, which looked amazing. He has a top rope crossbody where he gets a ridiculous amount of height. And then he does another one from the top rope to the floor. Again, ridiculous amount of height. Just 
just brilliant stuff from Alex Wright, isn't it? There's a lot of, I mean, he's so underrated, to be honest with you. I know that word's thrown out there a lot, um, but he really is. I mean, Alex Wright, I think everything, he had everything except the mic skills. Yeah, and maybe the look as well. He had that kind of, he had a, it sounds so silly because it is 1996, but he had a very 1990s preppy boy haircut. And he had this kind of pretty boy, clean shaven face. And it was almost like he was too much of a white meat baby face to a degree. You almost, especially in this era, 96, when you get in the NWO, you get in Austin and so on. You kind of want a little bit more edge to these characters. And I don't think we ever do really get that with Alex Wright, especially in the mid nineties anyway. Yeah, I could definitely see that. Hmm. I mean, right again, though, he applies a Boston Crab, which he then switches into an STF, which looked fantastic. And then we get a great finish as opposed to the kind of ropey finish we had in one of our matches last week, where we have an exchange of counters as Benoit is looking for that, that sort of full Nelson suplex with a bridge that he's used to finish off his opponents in recent weeks. Benoit's looking for that, can't quite get it. Alex Wright counters. Benoit looks for it again. You know, Alex Wright counters again. Then Alex Wright goes behind Benoit with a waist lock. Benoit counters again, goes for a German, that gets countered, before eventually Benoit hits that suplex with the neck bridge for the win. And this finish is back and forth, back and forth, counter, counter, counter. But again, incredibly simple in in reality. It's not like it's not like we're sort of watching, you know, a five-star cl- Matt classic in, in at this moment in time. It's very simple go-behinds and counters and blocks the suplexes. But it was very much like both guys were really battling for position and trying to win the contest. To me, it was superb. I really liked the way this match ended. Yeah, the same here. Um, it was it was very like a realistic struggle, wasn't it? And then um, when Chris Benoit hit that dragon suplex and pinned him, I, I, I thought it was an automatic kick out, like we talked about last week. But um, it was nice to see that um, a nice clean finish in the opener opening match of this show. Yes, and I think it's important as well that Benoit, as a member of the Four Horsemen, after what we saw last week, Benoit was allowed to win a match decisively like this because obviously you know, the Horsemen, as you brilliantly put last week on Nitro Nights, Danny, had their balls cut, cut off in front of us because of Hogan and so on. So having Benoit win this so, so cleanly, decisively, I think is quite an important step into trying to rebuild that, I suppose, aura around the Horsemen. Yeah, he needed this, absolutely. Yes. Uh, what followed was, I suppose, another great wrestling contest. We have Stephen Regal, Lord Stephen Regal, come into the ring, with, and, he, and he's facing Eddie Guerrero. Now, this is a little bit of a, a sort of clash of styles and sizes, in a way. Regal is a big old fella, and he's, he's carrying a few extra pounds in this occasion here, at this time in, in his career. He's far from ripped, shall we say, uh, which I'm allowed to point out because I'm a big fucking jelly baby myself. So there we go. Eddie Guerrero is, of course, much smaller. He's effectively a cruiserweight, Eddie Guerrero, you know, at this point in his career. Regal is very much a map-based competitor. Guerrero can more than hold his own in that sort of foray into wrestling. But at the same time, spends a lot of time in the air so it's quite a unique contest for me what i liked about this as well is the differences between this and the opener so you're getting you're getting a different type of wrestling match to the match you had beforehand but both equally as good i mean even down to the start the the match that opened the show started very quickly with benoit jumping alex Wright. this match was the exact opposite started very slowly with both guys kind of feeling each other out and so on. Talk us through a bit of the action in in this match here, Danny, and let us know what you liked or, or if anything, what you disliked and so on. Um, definitely, uh, what I liked most was um, how they slowed this down. Uh, as you said, from the beginning match to this match, it was to- two totally different styles. Um, what I liked... I probably liked best was the pop when Eddie Guerrero won, but um, okay. it, it was actually a very brutal match as well. And um, it was nice to see Lord Stephen Regal as well, because he's another one we haven't seen too much of, and I'm hoping we get to see a lot more of him. Yeah. When does he jump ship? Is that 96 he goes across? I think and he's 98. I 90, think when okay. he's doing man's man gimmick. That's it, yeah, man's man gimmick. Is that as late as 98, was it? Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, 98. No, oh, was, ah. Actually, that might have been 99, if I think of it. 
Okay, I know he comes back to WWE in the late 90s for like six months and then he goes back to the WWF. And look at the knowledge from you, eh? I, actually, I, I thought he went off fairly soon and did the man's man's gimmick and that was it. We didn't see him again. So that's going to, yeah, that's interesting. Look at that. I call you the encyclopedia for a reason, you see. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, this. Uh, Eddie Guerrero here to me, when you're looking at some of the other stuff that we're watching, and I'm not I'm not complaining about the other wrestling that we've seen in the recent episodes of Nitro and the recent pay-per-view we watched and so on. But when you then look at the modern product that we're watching today, Eddie Guerrero is so far ahead of his time here in 96, isn't he? With some of the things he's doing. Some of the stuff Guerrero does here in 96, you're not seeing other people do on American wrestling television. Uh, but you are seeing them do it now many years later it's a testament to how talented this guy is i think yeah absolutely um and it's like i would say the same for regal as well because at this point not a lot of wrestlers were doing facials and things like that so after when william regal took the loss in this his facials and his reactions were just excellent weren't they Mm, yes he's always been good at that though hasn't he he's always been a very uh, i suppose in a way, he's very methodical, very uh, deliberate in a lot of the things he does, especially with his wrestling style. But then the comedy timing of him and the character work he does, I think is just just brilliant. Even when he's he's always been kind of played that, that stiff upper lip, um, lord, you know, aristocrat English character. Of course he would, because that's just how Americans view us, I guess. But... Even in those moments, he manages to get various emotions and, and tell a story across to the audience as well. An incredibly talented man. Definitely. And I'm glad he's still in wrestling in uh, 2022. Yes. Yes. One thing that didn't look great was an elbow drop that was mistimed a bit. It looked like Eddie was trying to get up and Regal wanted to drop one more elbow. And he he just cracked Guerrero right on the back of the bonds. That must have hurt. <laughs> oh, big time, big time. <laughs> uh, we are told on commentary by Eric Bischoff to forget about the Royal Fumble. With an F, of course, the Royal Fumble. Uh, you get three hours of our television for free. And again, referring to the Clash of Champions. Now, I'm not sure how long the Clash is. I'm fairly certain most Clashes back in the day were two hours. So I'm not sure if Eric's made a mistake or if this one is a three-hour event. I'm sure we'll find out in a week or two, Danny. But yes, more jabs thrown across. Wow, I'm not surprised. But yeah, we'll see. It only gets worse. Yes, exactly. Uh, Regal effectively dominates large portions of this match. Uh, And then Eddie Guerrero, completely out of the blue, ties up Regal in a backslide, brings him down to the mat and, and gets the three count. And it was it was almost booked like a bit of a fluke. But at the same time, the way it came around was Eddie Guerrero being out-wrestled over and over and over again by Regal until this one moment where Guerrero out-wrestled his opponent, won the match because it only takes three seconds. And that was that. And I thought that was a really clever little finish as well. That's something uh, we were talking about last week, wasn't it? It's that, like these finishes are getting, they're not like just simple standard. Here we go, one, two, three. I'm liking the fact that we're getting different finishes. There's about six different ways to actually end a match on a pin for a submission or something like that. And it's nice to see that they're coming out of nowhere. Mm. Yeah, exactly. To me, it makes it more of a realistic competition, I guess. I mean, you look at something like, say, the UFC or, or boxing. We'll use boxing as an example here. And I know I've touched upon this previously on Nitro Nights, so bear with me if I'm repeating myself. But you have a boxer that, for example, has incredible power and is well known for his, his left hook, for argument's sake. And that's how he's knocked out 30 opponents, whatever. That same boxer can beat you with his right hand. Because that's just the nature of the beast. That same boxer can beat you with an uppercut or a jab as opposed to that one left hook. Now, in professional wrestling in modern day, I really feel like we have been trained that we won't see the the end of the contest until we see the left hook, until we effectively see the wrestling the wrestling you know character's finisher. Here, we're seeing matches end without necessarily using a finisher all the time. I like that. It makes it more realistic. As I mentioned, using boxing as the example... 
there's un- it's not just waiting for one punch to win a contest. There's many different ways. To me, it makes it more of a realistic sporting sporting contest, more of a sporting battle, Danny. It does. And I think that you bring up a great point there because I think it's a lot, a lot of it is influenced by uh, computer games where you're playing a wrestler until and you only win the match when you hit your finisher. Mm. Yes. I mean, there's obviously two sides to every story, isn't there? Having a finish that is over. I mean, I look at the stunner, for example, when Austin was using that, that was huge for him. Uh, we're going to see it very soon with the diamond cutter and diamond Dallas page later on in this year, especially the diamond cutter becomes a huge, I mean, it's, it's already a big issue now that when the, when the diamond cutter gets hit, it is over, but page is still developing the character, I guess. But if you've got a finisher that is over, fantastic but you don't have to use it every single match i don't think just i suppose a little bit of a sidetrack there into <laughs> into the way my mind works maybe no it's all good it's all good and um yeah no, I, I do agree with that because um there's what i really like about certain wrestling is like they'll have um like matches where you an opponent a, a competitor can't use a finishing move if he does he gets disqualified I think those are good uh, matches to have as well. Yeah, yeah, but you tend to find those are those are matches that I suppose that are based on people who have that finishing move that is over to that point. So we've seen it with Shawn Michaels; he's had to wrestle matches where he's not allowed to use the super kick, sweet chair music. We've had Randy Orton be banned from using the RKO, and so on. And it just adds to the aura of the finish, I think. So it can work both ways. We're getting a match where the wrestler is trying to win uh, without using just their finish, but at the same time, taking it away makes you want to see it even more, I suppose. Quite a good quite a good booking tool to have there, I think. Yeah, definitely. And then when the match is finished, the wrestler hits the finish and gets a massive pop. So it works every way. Exactly, exactly. Great old school booking, that, isn't it? <laughs> uh we have Mean Gene Oakland here popping up, and we I suppose we get the interview that I thought we were going to get last week with Lex and uh, Sting talking about what happened at Starcade. And, well, first of all, um, Mean Gene has a mention of the new generation, again, referencing what WWE are referring to their wrestlers as, the new generation have just added a couple of people close to collecting their social security. So, yeah, again, even Gene's getting in on the act now. But we have Lex Luger and Sting here discussing what happened at Starcade, where they were both counted out in that dog-awful bloody triangle match. And we saw at the time that Sting was trying to get back into the ring and Luger almost held him down, preventing him from, from answering the referee's count. Uh, Luger explained this away as being injured and he was trying to grab Sting to get because he thought his friend Sting was going to help him up. And again, this is where I think this story is so well done because we know Luger's a bit of a shit. We know Luger's a bit of a git here, don't we? We know he, and we're waiting for him to turn on Sting. But everything Luger says, you can kind of go, oh yeah, well maybe that was what happened. It's not it's not nonsense that you're laughing at. And I mean, don't get me wrong. Sting's the most gullible wrestler in the world for the amount of times he's had tag partners turn on him. This guy really needs to have a look at himself. It's embarrassing. But here with Luger, Luger saying, no, mate, honestly, I, 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 you watch the footage back. I hurt my leg. I thought you as my friend would help me up. And you watched it back and you think to yourself, you know what? That could be the truth. So you're always second guessing, aren't you, Danny? Yeah, that is great. Um, a great little sprinkle to add into the um, storyline because they even showed the still photographs as well and uh, to back up Lex. And Lex was just like, he's just his reactions are so funny. And but yeah, you, you've got that little bit of logic that you added in as well. That every every um, everything might be bullshit, but there's a little bit of truth there as well. So he might be just telling the truth. Exactly. And Sting wants to trust his friend, doesn't he? Sting wants to be, Sting wants Luger to be his mate. They want, that's his friend. He wants it to continue that way. He wants to give him the benefit of the doubt, so to speak. Yeah. Really interesting story and really interesting things developing there. And it's been running for a few weeks now. And I love the way that we're now, I suppose, 
what would we be? I don't know how many weeks it is. We've had a pay-per-view. We've had numerous episodes of Nitro and so on. It's been several weeks anyway. We're no closer to having a conclusion to this than we were when it first started. And I love that because we're getting different things thrown into this storyline, different aspects. You know, the whole Dungeon of Doom was playing around in it for a little while. Uh, probably the only time they've been, you know, useful on television for, for some time. Hogan was sticking his nose in. Savage was asking who can trust who. But Sting and Luger stayed friends throughout the whole thing. I think it's really, really well-written story here. Yeah, same here. And now they're officially a tag team. Now, after all of that, only now they're officially a tag team. Yeah, and apparently they're going to go to the Clash of Champions. And Luger says, let me prove to you again how well we're going to work as a tag team. Um, I don't know if I missed this. Did they mention who they're facing at the Clash, or are we still waiting on the answer to that question? No, we're still waiting. Um, okay. So, but I, I've, I've got a few guesses. I think maybe they may face the Horsemen, or they may face maybe uh, the Super Assassins, as last week. Uh, I kind of hope not. <laughs> uh, we do get uh, Sting in action, though, don't we? He is facing Diamond Dallas Page, who we were just talking about with the Diamond Cutter and so on. Uh, DDP comes out to the ring and he's still finding his way here, isn't he? Let's be honest. We still have a little bit of 1993 Diamond Dallas Page. We still have the cigar, the mop of hair, almost like he's got too many things going on at once. And then as he's walking to the ring, he turns to the camera and says, he's now going to go and beat Sting for the United States title before beating Johnny B. Bad and getting his television title back. Sting isn't the United States champion. Sting isn't even the last United States champion. Sting is the United States champion from two title reigns ago. What? How, how has that happened? <laughs> I have no idea, but when I saw this, I thought, what has DDP been drinking today? Oh, it's like, come on, Paige, mate. Come on, let's have a little... Just, just think things through. Come on, you know. <laughs> he makes a reference as well about um, wanting to get the Diamond Doll back, Kimberly. She's still running around with our our reigning television champion, Johnny B. Bad. So it's looking like we're going to be getting a bit more of that potentially in the coming weeks with the Page, Kimberly, and uh, Johnny B. Bad triangle going on, which I'm not, I'm not, you know, adverse to. I, I'm not protesting against that because they've had a couple of good matches, a couple of good angles. And Johnny B. Bad, as we said in our, especially in our um, 95 in review episode a few weeks back, uh, Johnny B. Bad really surprised us. So I'm quite happy to see a bit more of that, I think, Danny. What about you? Yeah, it's pretty much the same. I'm hoping it doesn't all happen on Saturday night and we get to see some of it on Nitro. You're just going to keep pressing that Saturday night button, aren't you? You're not going to let this go. We will get a watch at one point, sir. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Uh, the match starts with Diamond Dallas Page basically smushing his big fat cigar in Sting's face. And it looks like he got a bit of it in his eye because Sting looks genuinely in pain here. He looks really uncomfortable. <laughs> well, that's a bit harsh. You know? <laughs> that was funny. But um, Sting's even Sting's face paint got messed up a little bit there, didn't it? Mm. Yeah, yeah. Coarse things, cigars. They'll remove your makeup look. Um, <laughs> Diamond Dallas Page is in control from there, but we uh, we get one cool spot that I really want to mention, where Page is kind of thrown towards the ropes, almost like thrown to go out of the ropes, but he kind of catches himself, and he's led between the top rope and the middle rope, almost like you'd you'd see Rey Mysterio do a six one nine, but stop kind of thing, or like a Ray Phoenix kind of flip into the ropes and back out again. But it's literally led between the top and the middle rope. To which Sting just follows it up with a drop kick and punts him to the floor. I thought it was fantastic. That was brilliant. Um, and for someone who, uh, of DDP's size to do that, that's pretty impressive, wasn't it? Yeah, he's a massive bloke, isn't he? He must be, I think he was, he's 6'5", six, 6'6". Six, six. He's a huge yeah. fella. Yeah, about 6'5", six, 6'6", six, six. yeah, definitely. And yeah. at this point, um, I, I just what I liked about this match was the commentators... Uh, really playing up to DDP, referencing that he'd improved and he looked better than he did before. I found that very interesting. I think they might be actually trying to build up a star here, Si. Well, well, there we go. I mean, a big, a big thing labelled at WSW, which I assume we're going to, you know, touch upon when we come to the end of our Nitro Nights run in many years' time, is that they never really created their own stars. I think Diamond Dallas Page is one that kind of bucks that idea, I think. But yeah, 
you know, we'll find out more as we travel through the years, I guess, Danny. Yeah. Uh, we have a long chin lock spot after this. And I think part of that is because there was a bit of a botched leapfrog where Paige, again, as we mentioned, is a big old bloke. Sting goes to leapfrog him, which shows incredible athleticism because Sting's not a small man either. Uh, I don't know whether Sting didn't get up quite high enough or whether Paige didn't quite duck his head enough. But Sting effectively takes a headbutt squaring bollocks. That did look painful, didn't it? <laughs> yeah, he didn't look like he was having a good time, to be fair. It was quite uncomfortable. Uh, so we have a long chin lock spot, which I think part partially to allow Sting to sort of, you know, recover from the low blow, so to speak. Uh, eventually, we get Sting attempting a stinger splash, which he hits. He then goes for the scorpion. Uh, but Paige is too close to the ropes and escapes this scorpion attempt. Very quickly, we get a second scorpion attempt. And I love the storytelling here because Sting's a tried for the scorpion, a, a move that is incredibly over. You know, you're, you're expecting him to win if he applies it. Paige has got to the ropes. The second time he goes for it, he, par- he partially turns Paige, stops, and then repositions him to get him away from the ropes as, as if he's almost learnt from the first attempt. And I think that's just brilliant, brilliant storytelling. That is, and if the fact that DDP has these long legs as well um, adds into the story as well. Yeah, really good stuff, really good stuff. Uh, and that that's kind of it. Sting wins there via submission. And, and again, a pretty decent, decent match. I, I quite enjoyed it again. Yeah, same here. I mean, uh, another clean finish added to the list. Here we go. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's a bit of a, a bit of a rarity on some nitros, but we've seen quite a bit of that over the last couple of weeks. I'm all for it, mate. I'm all for it. Same here. Hello, everyone. My name is Tyler Peters, and let me tell you about my blog titled ClassicReviews.com. Classic Reviews discusses everything from pro wrestling to films, music, original concepts, and more. The blog recently spotlighted WWE superstar Becky Lynch and the Beach Boys. You can find Classic Reviews at www.tylerstakepodcast.wordpress.com and follow me at DustinTyler86 on Twitter. I hope to see you all over there very soon. And that web address, once again, is www.tylerstakepodcast.wordpress.com. Our main event, then. We have Arn Anderson and Ric Flair representing the Four Horsemen, and they are facing the team of Hulk Hogan and Randy Savage. Now, to me, it was kind of obvious where this was going to go. I could see in no way, shape, or form the baby faces losing this. I kind of uh, assumed that because Ric Flair is our current world champion, that Arn Anderson would probably take the pinfall, and most likely after a Hogan leg drop, as opposed to a Randy Savage elbow, because obviously it's WCW and it's Hulk Hogan. That's kind of how I would have sort of guessed at how this match would go. And we not too far off, really, I think, with the finish. Something that made me chuckle, though, at the beginning, Arn Anderson and Bobby Heenan are talking about the horsemen and saying if there's two horsemen, then look around because normally there's four horsemen. Mongo refers to the four horsemen, one of the greatest heel wrestling groups of all time, as scallywags. Wow, I couldn't <laughs> believe that. That's something straight <laughs> off WWF, isn't it? <laughs> oh, you naughty little scamps, you. Is, is kind of what he's saying. <laughs> oh, dear. Hogan cleans house early on and basically fires the horseman out of the ring. Um, We eventually get the heels taking charge with Flair using the old eye poke, which is great. To me, I I really enjoy that because it's it's such a simple thing for any heel wrestler to do when the ref's got his back to him, just jab a thumb in the eye. But if you've ever caught a thumb in the eye or got poked in the eye, you know that doesn't matter how big you are, how strong you are, or how potentially orange you are, shall we say, it stops you in your tracks. You're done. So the way Flair uses this eye poke is, is always so masterful to me. Oh, it's, it's brilliant. And it really adds to the heel repertoire of Ric Flair. Because if you get poked in the eye, you you feel that all the way down to the spine. Like that it hurts bad. <laughs> mm. Yeah, it's not good at all. 
Yeah, so I really like the way that certain heels, especially Flair, who's quite famous for it, uses that uh, to his advantage. It, it just makes sense. Again, it comes back to a sense of realism, and it makes sense. Uh, Savage turns it back around quite quickly, though, to the to the baby faces being in control. And we get a double figure four, Hogan and Flair. Sorry, Hogan and Savage applying this on the heels. That's quite an interesting spot. I, I don't know why, but I got, I got a bit of a kick out of this. Yeah, it looked for it made for a great visual. Um, it was like just like the fans were really into it as well. Yeah, I suppose it's something you don't see often. And uh, again, it's similar to how we had the rack and the scorpion the other week with Luger and Sting facing, you know, facing the barbarian and the warlord. It's it's quite the visual, as you said, Danny, to the crowd react. But also here, they're using Flair's move on him, which kind of always gets a reaction as well, doesn't it? When people use a wrestler's move on the wrestler who who normally has that finish yeah it's that's because it's something you just it's something out of the ordinary mm, yes exactly Arn anderson hits a brilliant a glorious ddt as he often does on randy savage to kind of take back control for his team and then we get the line on commentary from eric bischoff i suppose really sort of nailing his flag to the mast i suppose in saying that everyone in wcw wants a shot at Hogan and Savage. Surely everyone in WCW would want a shot at Ric Flair because he is the world champion. You'd think, wouldn't you? But like, I just, I don't get that logic at all, (laughs) Sai. No, no. And did you also notice something that happened last week, reoccurred this week? What was that, Sai? Where's the world title? Oh, yes. Didn't see the world title again, did we? No, we didn't. Now that look, now that I remember, yeah, you didn't see that again. I wonder where it is. Yeah, it's weird, isn't it? It's odd. It's very odd. Maybe Macho Man still has it, and he hasn't let it go. He's just angry that they took it off of him. Yeah, potentially. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the heels are, are back in control here after that DDT. They're working over Savage and working on Savage's arm. Eventually, Randy Savage blocks another DDT attempt. And I always like this when, when Arn goes for a DDT. We had it with Flair as well, didn't we, in, in the match they had quite early on on Nitro Nights, where Arn would go for a DDT and his opponent grabs the top rope, so Arn just takes a, back, a flat back bump. And I think it looks quite it's quite simple, but I think it's always quite effective as well. Yeah, it is. And it's like, because the thing with Arn Anderson is all of his matches, or for the majority, he's, he looks like he's real and he's trying to end the match. So a DDT coming from him is like a, a more effective than a DDT coming from an, any average wrestler because he looks like he's trying to win as quick as he can. Yes, makes a lot of sense. Makes a lot of sense. Uh, after Savage has blocked the, the Arn Anderson DDT there, he manages to get the tag. Hogan comes in and cleans house again whilst the crowd are actually kind of positive towards Hogan again here. Yeah, Hogan sort of cleans house. We end up with a bit of a, a bit of a brawl. Everyone's sort of scrapping with each other. It settles back down to a degree, and Hogan takes the Arn Anderson spinebuster, one of Arn Anderson's biggest moves, one of his finishers, to which Hogan jumps up and no sells. Fuck you, Hulk Hogan. I knew you was going to go off on this. <laughs> that <Whoa>. is one of. <laughs> what that- happened? I know that is one of the that was one of the worst instant instances I've seen of this no sudden business. I mean, that yeah, that just kind of killed Arn Anderson's credibility with the sp- uh, spine master. It's just it's just shit. It's just a real crap thing to do. I appreciate in the eighties this would happen. Hogan would get a massive reaction, and 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 it's kind of what played into the Hulk Hogan character and made him a big deal and made him one of the biggest stars the business has ever seen. I appreciate that. However, in 1996, when you're trying to build up the four horsemen with two younger guys who are effectively getting the rub off the horsemen and getting over because they are with Flair and Anderson. Last week, you had the horsemen cowering from Hulk Hogan. You had them on their knees, almost tearful in fear. Here, you have Hogan, no-selling one of the, I suppose, original horsemen, no selling one of his biggest moves. It doesn't have to happen. Okay, again, similar to how we spoke last week about the finish and, and what happened with the horseman there. It gets a reaction on the night. It gets a reaction from the crowd. You'll get a pop on the night because it's it, it's it, the visual of Hogan taking this massive spinebuster, then standing straight back up and just staring his opponent down. I get it. 
Okay. I get it. And as a kid, I thought it was wonderful watching this sort of thing. And on the, on the night, on that exact moment, it gets a great reaction from the crowd and, and so be it. However, again, similar to last week, bigger picture. Arn then hits a spine buster on somebody else next week or at the Clash of Champions or wherever and wins the match with that move. How weak does the guy look that Arn has just beat? Yeah. I mean, it's oh, just total unprofessionalism. I mean, just, I think, I don't think he should have hit in this match. Mm. You could just, just body slam the guy. Pick him up, body slam him. Hogan stands up. You're going to get the same reaction from the crowd. 100% same reaction. Even with a clothesline, it would have uh, been had the same reaction. Yes. I, I don't think the... Because it's happened with different stuff. It's happened with, with the spine buster from Ron Anderson. We've seen it happen in the past from pile drivers. He's took a pile driver and jumped straight back up, uh, going back to his WWF days. I don't think it's necessarily the move he stands up from that gets the reaction thereafter. I think it's the actual act of standing up straight afterwards and no selling the move. Now, I appreciate certain moves have this aura to them as being more effective than others. And Aaron Swinebuster is one of them. A pile driver, to me, is, is what should finish a match. You shouldn't be kicking out of a pile driver. So when you see Hogan stand up from those moments, I appreciate it's going to get a reaction. But if you do it right and you hit him with a massive vertical suplex, and then, you know, he doesn't even bounce on the mat. He literally rolls up on his feet, stares the guy down. You're going to get a big reaction. Because Hulk Hogan is six foot eight, 300 pounds, and he's just been lifted effectively seven foot in the air and dropped on his back. He jumps up, stares at his opponent, not a problem. And then you've not killed anything then, because nobody goes to win a match from a, from a suplex anymore. I mean, this isn't Barry Windham in 1987 winning matches with a superplex. This is, this is 1996, you know? And... Nobody wins matches from, from a big suplex anymore. So if he's not affecting anyone there. He's not hurting anyone in the long run. But you're still getting that moment you're after with regards to the jumping up and no selling. You don't need to do it from an Orndorff pile driver. You don't need to do it from a spine buster. It's just... I just think it's so... It's so disrespectful. That's a great word of, uh, put, way of putting it, Sai, because, um, I mean, it just felt like Arn Anderson was buried there. Yeah, I suppose. I mean, I, I, maybe Barrett's a bit harsh, but I know where you're coming from. It's not it's not a good look at all, is it? But yeah, there we go. The spine buster. We get the big boot, the leg drop. It looks like a one, two, three. I'm not 100% sure if it was. Yeah, it was. It was. was yeah. It? yeah. Because ev everyone just kind of runs in again then, don't they? So I, I, uh, that, yeah, that's what that annoys me oh, so much because he had to make sure he had to get the one, two, three in just. And then when that one, two, three. Uh, when the bell rang, that's when the all chaos um, happened. Why didn't Why didn't they jump in the ring before the one, two, three? Well, yeah, yeah. I, mean, I suppose there's certain wrestlers who, certain wrestlers who can take a loss and it doesn't really hurt their careers. And I think Arn Anderson is one of those. Arn, I think Arn Anderson getting pinned off Hogan's big leg drop. We knew before the match, we we literally had a run through of what was likely going to be the finish, and that was the finish. I don't think Arn's, Arn's career or heat or momentum or however you want to word it would get hurt by this. But at the same time, I know where you're coming from. If you're going to have the big run in and everyone fighting away and the big schmozzy finish, why not make it a schmozzy finish? You can even have the horsemen running in because they assume Arn is going to lose because he's just took the big leg drop. He hasn't necessarily got to have the three count, I guess. But whatever, whatever. It is what it is. And we get everyone running in. The Dungeon of Doom are there again. Uh, the, the horseman, the giant, everyone's fighting away. The giant basically destroys everybody, doesn't he, with massive choke slams. And that's how we basically go off air, I guess. And again, we're left with absolute carnage. Wrestlers all over the place, all these different groups, and well, the horsemen, Savage and Hogan are together. Um, the Dungeon of Doom, all these various different aspects. Absolute carnage, and we go off air. And again, I'm thinking... I want to see what happens next. Yeah, that was a great way of putting us off the show because normally um, they would end with the announcers going over what's happening next week on in-ring segment. This was pretty chaotic and it was pretty cool as well. But one thing just kind of just... As, there's a story going there with the giant and the Dungeon of Doom. They keep bringing him to the back or... Like, I'm, I'm wondering what that is. Even the Zodak is intriguing me at this point because he keeps telling on um, 
the giant to just cut, go back, go back after like what? What are they after? What's their angle, Sai? I don't know. I don't know. It's almost like they're telling the giant to stop, aren't they? Yes, before it goes too him. far. Yeah, yeah. Which is which is interesting because if his own teammates, as bloody ridiculous as his teammates are, if his own teammates are telling him to stop, that adds a bit of intrigue to me. You know, that that makes me think, okay, well, what is he capable of if he doesn't stop? Why are they telling him to stop? You know, and so on. So, yeah, that makes that adds another level of interest for me, I think. And to me, when I look at the top end of the card, with regards to the world title picture and so on, I, I, I start thinking about upcoming pay-per-views and big events and, and so on and where they can book and head not thinking NWO in the summer. Cause we don't know that's happening yet. I'm thinking at this aspect now on the 8th of January, 1996. And I think that sting and Luger are obviously tied up doing their own thing. So they're really out of the main event picture at the moment. Savage. He's just had a month run with the world title. He's still injured. Would you risk putting the world title back on him at any point? Probably not, because you don't know what's going to happen to his injury, if he needs time off or anything like that. So what does that leave, really? You've got Ric Flair as your world champion. Flair Hogan again? I mean, I think that's always going to be, you know, to wrestling fans, they're all, it's always going to draw some attention. But we've seen that. We saw it in 94. We saw it on Nitro last week. Where where do we head from there? What Where's the money in a world title match? And I think it's the Giant again. I don't think we're left with many other options in January of 96. And I think the giant is, is the one who realistically at this exact moment in time in, in our watchback, the giant is the money when it comes to the world title, whether that's giant versus flair, that's something we've not seen before or whether the, the world title gets put on the giant and we have giant Hogan again, because they have still not had that proper one-on-one to a definitive finish. To me, the giant in the world title picture is kind of where the money sits at the moment, if that makes sense. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. It's like as much as we'd want Arn Anderson uh, in the world title picture, <laughs> they're just not going to be doing that. But yeah, I like how they do how they're having um, the giant do this because it's like it's just adding just storylines to it. It's just like, come on, like what's going to happen next? Mm. And less is more, Danny. Less is more. We've seen the giant this week. We've seen the giant last week. He's been on our screens for what? 90 seconds? Come in, destroyed bloody everyone, left. So it, it goes back to that creating a star uh, mentality about what, what we said earlier about DDP. They're doing a good job with um, the giant here, despite killing him in October. Yeah, quite literally, yeah, killing him in October. Yeah. <laughs> okay, then. So that's the end of that episode of Nitro for us there. I suppose we better give out our ratings and our moments and so on, our pros and cons, our good points and our bad points, with our woos and our oh brothers, Danny. Woo! Brother, 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 brothers, brother. Woo! Brother. Uh, first or second this week, my friend? I'll go second this week, Si. I'm interested to hear what your boo is. Okay, well, I'm going to go oh brother first, because I always like to try and finish on something positive. Uh, my oh brother will be absolutely zero shock to everybody it's hogan no selling the spine buster fuck you hulk hogan what about you my friend for the old brother is um yeah pretty much the same it has to be either the hulk hogan no selling or just um on that finish of the main event where Arnanson had to take the pin but i mean okay he was the one to take the pin but it was like they could have just had a DQ or finish or something. Like, I, know, I know I'm always talking about clean finishes and things like that, but nah, yeah, I'm going with those two. Um, what's your woo this week, Sai? My woo this week is Benoit Alex Wright. I really enjoyed that. I thought it was a great contest. I, I thought it was really some really good moves, some really good, um, you know, some good action there. I, I really enjoyed that match. What about yourself? It has to be the commentators um, bigging up uh, DDP and actually making him look like he was improving. Um, to me, he's, it kind of makes you think he is because we go back to that star-making mentality. They've got to start building up stars, haven't they? Because we've just run mm. through the main event. Who's going to challenge Ric Flair? There's not a lot of people, so they better get on board with building uh, some of these. And also... Um, 
would say Sting and Lex Luger officially becoming a tag team is was has to has to be another woo for me. Yes. Yeah, the whole Sting Luger thing in general, I just find it so fascinating. It's it's really interesting. Really good television at the moment, I think. I mean it all it all is. I'm enjoying 96 to me has started with a bang. These first two nitros we've watched have been absolutely superb. So it'll be of no surprise to you whatsoever for me when I say, shall we go hit miss or middling? I'm going a full on hit this week, my friend. Yep. Same here. Massive hit. It was a fantastic show. A lot of wrestling and a lot of storyline as well. Mm. Probably not as good as last week. Don't get me wrong. Uh, Both shows this week and last week, both shows I've given a hit. This one's probably not quite as good as last week. But it's still a hit for me. Big time. Yeah. Excellent stuff. Excellent stuff. Okay. Do you want to let everybody know whereabouts they can find you online, Danny? All your shows, your content, what's coming up, and so on. Yep. You can uh, find me on Twitter at Scottish Juggalo. You can hear me on the Changing Attitude. You can hear me on One Man's Meat podcast. And you can hear me here next week where we'll be going over another night, Charles. Indeed, indeed. And you said it's at Scottish Juggalo, didn't you, for your Twitter? And there's links yep. to all your shows via there, yes? Mm-hmm. Yep. Excellent stuff. Okay, great. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at SJP Words, or you can find me on Facebook, SJP, all the shows and info. And as always, if you just go and uh, follow or join the group there or whatever, you get links to everything I'm involved in. Wrestling-wise, we have Chain Wrestling live on a Monday night. Uh, via the Radio Techers YouTube and Twitch channels, and a podcast version comes out later in the week. I look at some geeky sci-fi time travel stuff with a Quantum Leap podcast called The Waiting Room and a Doctor Who podcast simply called The Doctor Who Pod with Benny Mac and Dan Griffin, respectively. And obviously, we have this show here, Nitro Nights, which you can find by simply searching for at nitro underscore nights on Twitter and Facebook at nitro underscore nights. But again, all the shows I'm involved in, you can find via my Twitter and Facebook at SJP words. And also by the time this episode comes out, you could very likely be able to get yourself some nitro nights merch. We're talking cups, hoodies, t-shirts, etc., etc., etc. There's a few designs there. Uh, find the link on Twitter at Nitro underscore Nights. If it's not there already, it'll be there very soon. But I'm fairly certain by the time this episode comes out and is live, the, the merchandise will already be with you. So yeah, treat yourself to some awesome Nitro Nights t-shirts. Buy them, buy them, buy them. We are poor. We want your money. Okay. <laughs> Danny, it's been awesome again, my friend. I'm looking forward to speaking to you again next week. See you next week, sir. And to everyone else, as always, thank you for listening.